Luke, the 10th chapter, starting at verse number 25. If you have it, say, let's connect. If you have it, say, let's connect. And the Bible reads, I'll be reading out of the New King James versions. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to, inher to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and, with, and thy neighbor as thyself. Turn to your neighbor and say, And thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bound up his wound, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, he gave it to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Dear kind, loving, gracious Father, Lord, we come to you at this time, Lord, and say thank you. Lord, we thank you for giving us your word to guide us in times that are of uncertainty. Lord, we thank you for being ever-present with us through your son, Christ Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask at this time, Lord, did you give me the portion of strength that is required in order to deliver the word to your people at this time? Give me clarity. Hide me behind the cross. Lord, help my mind ever be quick of the things that I have studied. Lord, we ask that the minds that are here present at this time and the hearts that are visiting, that are, that are visiting through, the, through the ethos sphere, Lord. Lord, we ask that you open their hearts and their minds to hear the word that you would have for us today. We love you and we thank you. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Let us all say amen. amen. Kindly be seated at this time. For a few brief moments, I would like to speak to you about evolving in our love for the lost. We have to find a way, church, to move past, to move the needle past the bare minimum. We have to find a way to reach others to the point that it makes us uncomfortable. There is a fear that resonates within most of us. And so we are compelled out of habit at times to invite 
others into our fellowship, only if for no other means other never to hear the words from our Lord saying, who is this man? And the man or woman, as we sit there at judgment, looks to us and says, you never mentioned him to me. In a day of Facebook chain prayers and text message chain prayers and, and, and email prayers and memorized prayers, we need, to, we need to move beyond that as a church. The scripture teaches that you will know them by their love for each other. The love that we share one for another and for others. Meaning that people should be able to identify who you are and whose you are based off the type of love. Can I get a mic? Thank you. People should be able to identify who you are based off the love that you demonstrate one for another. The Greeks have several words to define love, and, and thanks to one of these new commercials out there, I don't know if you saw it on the Super Bowl, they even introduced one I was not familiar with. But the Greek word that is used as far as love is agape. Now there's several loves that are talked about in the Bible. You have eros, which is our, from which we get our sexual love. We also have the understanding of phileo or phila, which is brotherly love, the love that we share one for another or our, our, our siblings. Storge is a familiar love, a love that is shared for your parents. But then we have what is called agape, which is the type of love that God commands us to love, for, to have for each other and for others. And for others. Now I say that we need to evolve in our love because it's easy to love people that look like us. It's easy to love people that act like us. It's easy to love people that, that live where we live, that dress how we dress, that drive the cars that we like to drive. But how easy is it for it to love somebody that doesn't look like you? Who doesn't talk like you? Who doesn't walk like you? You see, that's part of the problem that we're experiencing right now. There are many of us, even within our own fellowship, that have a problem of, of looking after those who do not look like us. And I tell you that it's only natural, it's only part of our natural depravity to look and look after those that look like you. If you, if you question it, who do you hang out at work? In your schools, who do you congregate with at the school? And even in our church houses, they say Sunday morning is the most segregated time of the week. Why? It's because we naturally gravitate towards those who look and act and speak like us. But if we are to be the children that God has called us to be, to be the people that God has called us to be, we ought to look at what is and see what ought to be. There's no reason for us to congregate on Sunday and only look to see the people that look like us. It's hard in this very polarized society to want to love otherness. You hear about people that are coming over and they're stealing our they're stealing our jobs. They're, 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 they're robbing us of, of our wealth and robbing, of us, robbing us of our health. Lies that are spread to separate people. Lies that are, spread, that are spread to sow seeds of dissension. 
but I want you to know that we've been called to a higher level of love. And if we are ever to reach those that are lost, we must evolve in our lost and our love for them, having a love for those who don't love themselves. Having a love for those who can't even see that they're dead. Having a love for those who can't even see that they're lost. Having a love for them, even though we don't necessarily want to get next to them. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, he defines the merits of love and what it is. He defines the love of agape. And he ends, his, he ends the chapter by saying, now, out of all these faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, meaning that you cannot have faith without hope, and you cannot have love without faith. That is the premise, and that is the promise. And so when we move here into the scripture, what we find is that Jesus in the, in the 10th chapter, we find that he is, he is presented with a question by a man who is looking to draw him out. Now, you must understand something about the writer Luke. Now, Luke, known as the third gospel and also the longest book in the New Testament, uses geography to tell the story of how Christ has his affinity, especially for those that are widows, children, uh, tax collectors, Samaritans, and all sinners. It tells of his passion. But you also see the narrative of his urgency and, and having the Christian nation understand what it means to look and act like a Christian. The Gospels were penned some 40 years after the ministry and death of Christ. And so what we have is that Luke, with the assistance of others as he writes in, in Luke, the first chapter, starting in verses number one through three, of how through the assistance of, of other accounts that he was able to pen this letter, this Gospel letter, to those who call themselves Christians, especially those who are not Jewish. And so what we find is that within this context, he has in this chapter, we see at the beginning that Jesus has sent out the 70, meaning that he's looking for workers to do the harvest. For he says the harvest is great, but the workers are few. But then he goes on a little further to showing what exactly a worker of Christ does, which is Showing mercy. The parable that we're about to look at looks at the idea of being merciful. Being merciful. Many of us have, had, have heard the parable of the Good Samaritan before. Raise your hand if you heard it. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, I know you heard it. In some form or manner. But what you have here, you have a young man and he's asking, he said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This question is a question that many of us ask, and, and, and we want to know, what does it look like? What does it look like? And Jesus responds, he says, well, what does it say? Now, when he asked him the question, I need you to understand that the Jews of the time, they walked around with these little boxes on their wrists and their, and their foreheads called phylacteries. Now, phylacteries were basically little boxes that kept the word of God on them at all times. Kind of like what he says in Joshua when he tells them to med meditate upon the word day and night. Go to Deuteronomy 6. Now, we had talked about the Shema. Brother Hamilton talked about the Shema and how Jews had recited it at least two times a day. Shema mean here. Not to be confused with my middle name, Shaman. 
I'm only sharing that once. You never get it again. But the Shema was something that the Jews recited at least two times a day. And what they did is when they had these boxes, they had verses and scriptures of the law to remind them of the words of God. And what did, and what did it say in Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy 6. I realize I, I didn't actually tell you. Deuteronomy 6 and 7. Excuse me. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Go ahead. And shalt thou talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou riest, riest, risest up. Go ahead, continue, please. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and thou shalt be as frontlets between thy eyes. These are, these are the, some of the Jews actually took this literally. And so they took the scripture and they, they, they wrapped it around their arms and wrists. They put it on their foreheads, known as the Shema, which the law of God would mean, y'all shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul. And then the other part is that, is that thou shall love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, the challenge with church folk is that we tend to focus on one part of the scripture instead of the other part of the scripture, instead of all of it. Jesus' response to the, young, to the young ruler was, what does the law say? And the, ruler, and the young lawyer gave the law back, and he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus answered, Thou hast answered correctly. But the lawyer, wanting to catch him in a bind, asked him, and who is my neighbor? And I just like us to want to get off on a technicality. Who is my neighbor? You know, the law is not only used to protect other people's interests, but it's also used to protect people's own selfish ambitions and, and, and interests themselves. Sometimes we weaponize scripture to keep us from doing the things we don't want to do. When the scripture says to do good, it says to do good unto all those of the household of the Lord. I mean, do good unto all those, especially those of the household of the Lord. We kind of focus on those of the household of the Lord. It says do good to all men. But even following that scripture, he says, as you have every opportunity. Every opportunity. He said, well, what are you saying? Well, no, that can be tiring, I know. That can be tiring. But what I want you to understand is that God is looking for workers. We are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. We are saved for works. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at some things that can help us evolve in our love for the lost. Now, when we look at the, when we look at the story, we need to understand the subjects that are, that are here at play. Now, some people get, get a little bit upset. Some people may say, well, Jesus did not say this was a, this was a parable. Jesus did not say this was a parable. Well, whether it was a parable or whether it was an actual account, this story has elements that could have actually been true, depending on the context of, of where you heard it. You see, Jesus told the story of a, of a man, a traveler, that went down, that had traveled down from Jerusalem. Now, you need to understand that that road was actually known publicly as a treacherous road. It was a road that, that was called the Adamant Road or the Bloody Road. It was a road that had such a steep incline, 
a decline, that going down, there were rocks along the way, and it was the perfect setup if you were looking to rob somebody. Maurice, in your former life, there would have been some place for you, <laughs> for you to hide. <laughs> Maurice, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but it was known as a treacherous road, a dangerous road. And so this, this traveler, no doubt, more than likely, was Jewish, coming from worship, coming down from Jerusalem, and it says that he fell among thieves. And the thieves stripped, stripped him of his raiment, robbed him, and left him for dead. And it said, by chance, a priest came down. Now, the thing that you need to understand about the priest, about priests at that time, is that priests were, were required to stay ceremonially clean. They could not touch a woman that, that, was, that was having her time. They could not touch dead things, as according to Numbers 19 and 11. Any dead thing that they touched, they had to stay away from a week, which means they had placed a ceremony over showing mercy. And then you have the Levite that came through. Now, the Levite was typically known for, for the upkeep of the, of the temple and the teaching within the temple. And when he saw he had passed by on the other side, they, sometimes he said that, that the Levites were kind of safety first. Because it was known that sometimes that the criminals would actually put a, 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 a uh, uh, they would put bait out. They would have somebody play dead. And then when somebody came to check them on, then they would spring on them. The Levites were kind of shrewd, and so they knew to walk on, keep on moving as though they had not seen anything. And then you had the Samaritan that Jesus brings up in his story. Now, Jesus had been accused of being a Samaritan himself back in John. But Jesus brings the, the example of the Samaritan, which many in his Jewish audience probably assumed was going to be the villain. They probably expected him to take what else he had left. But that was not the case. And so we find the Samaritan that was known as a half-breed. They did not worship in the same spot as the, as the other Jews did in, in Jerusalem. But this was a person that was known as an outcast. And what this outcast did was show mercy. Mountain View, if we're going to evolve in our loss, evolve in our love for the lost, the first thing that we have to do is that we have to embrace Christ's vision. We have to embrace his vision. As men, our vision is faulty. It's pretty poor, and we're pretty bad character witnesses. And so many times there's a tendency within ourselves, based off what we see, we measure it up and we say it is what it is, and we move on. Some of us may see a, a divorcee and just assume that they're looking for another spouse or that they were too selfish, and that's why their marriage didn't last. We see an ex-con, and we automatically assume that they're out to take advantage of us and, and to take what we have because our vision is bad. Jesus' vision saw the possibility and not the reality of what was before him. If you notice in the text, it says, by chance, a priest came by and he saw him. And he passed by on the other side. The vision of men is typically to take a first glance and keep on going. It also says, in verse 27, it says, then a Levite came by and he passed on by. Excuse me, not... Excuse me. <laughs> 24, that's in verse number 32. 
the, the, the priest and the Levite came through, they, they looked upon the man and they passed on by. And I say that if we are to evolve in our love for others, we have to have a vision that matches that of Christ. Christ didn't see two fishermen by the, side, by the seaside. He saw two, possible, two future disciples when he, when he called Peter, Andrew, James, and John in, in Luke 5. When Jesus, Jesus saw faith when he saw the centurion that approached him about his sick servant in Luke 7. Jesus saw a woman that was mourning. He didn't just see a crowd coming out, out the funeral procession in, 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 Luke, in Luke 7. When the woman was coming out carrying her dead son, Jesus didn't see a crowd of mourners, but he saw that one woman that had lost her hope. And so what Jesus did is that he grew his ministry opportunity. He grew his witness opportunity by seeing the possibility and not the reality. When Jesus was walking and he was pressed by the crowd, he didn't see a, a short man trying to be a looky-loo in a tree. He saw Zacchaeus, called him by his name, and said, today I must sup with you. How many times have we overlooked people in our lives? People that we can partner with in ministry. But because we feel that they're too far gone or perhaps they're dead and, they're dead and we, there's nothing we can do with them, we kept on walking. Many ministries struggle because of lack of resources. Why? Because we lack the vision to see the possibility of what people can be. There's so much potential out there in the world. But I feel many times we miss them because of our lack of love and mercy for them. Amen. See, no doubt, I'm sure that the men that saw that man on the street probably had the attitude that we probably would have had. He knew good and well that this road was dangerous. He got what he got because he didn't take precautions. And some of us have the same attitudes when we come across others. Well, there's a reason that she's single. There's a reason that, 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 that she has a baby by herself. There's a reason why he's divorced. And we write the person off as though they're no useful in, in, in the kingdom. If we're going to evolve as, if we're going to evolve in our love, we have to have the vision of Christ. But not only that, we must embrace his compassion. We have to embrace his compassion. And sometimes being compassionate isn't the cleanest thing in the world. You know, part of the, you know, the part of ministry that people really struggle with is the part of getting down and dirty with folk. People struggle with getting down and dirty with people. Because a lot of times we don't want to spend our money, we don't want to spend our time. We're we, we just barely trying to keep up with ourselves. But ministry, I, I, I recall a situation in my youth. My son was a newborn, and he did what babies do. Mom left, and he had a blowout. Now, you parents out there know what a blowout is. All up the front, all up the back, all up the side. And as my son sat there in his mess, Part of me did not want to get involved. Why didn't I want to get involved? This is my son. He needs to be changed. Any dutiful parent would do what is right, right? But in order for me to be able to tend to his needs, I have to pick him up. That means my hands have to get a little dirty. 
Mountain View, if you're going to get involved in someone's life, you have to realize that sometimes their mess is not the most pleasant. We have to get a little dirty. We have to be able to see beyond what, what, what is and see what can be. Now, this son, this son of mine right now, he's just he, he's feeling some kind of way. Don't worry, we've all been there. I'm sure I had a black blowout. I'm sure Maurice had a blowout. But 13 years later, my son is playing the trumpet like nobody's business. He's making the grades that make any parent proud. But if I had, if I had left him alone based off the mess that I saw that day, would he have ever achieved what he's, what he's able to do today? That is the same thing that we're encountering day after day after day. Those people that you come in, in contact with at Starbucks or McDonald's, Burger King, or whatever, those are people that are sitting in some mess. Those people that, that, that may be caught up in lifestyles that you don't agree with, those are the people that are caught up in things that you need to get involved with. Now, I'm not saying you have to change them, but I'm saying you need to, make, you need to try to make yourself a part of them. That's why, the gospel, that's why Paul writes, he says, he says, though I speak the tongues of men of angels and have not love, people don't care what you know if they don't know that you care. And evolving in our love must move beyond the minimum service of what, what the young lawyer would say, well, I just gotta love my neighbor, who my neighbor? Because that's our attitude. Well, I just gotta love the people in the church. I just gotta love the people in the church. And, and, and you need to understand, the mentality about that was that by loving those that are part of their fellowship means that we hate everybody else outside of it. That was the other side of a neighbor. And so the man was looking to trap Jesus because he wanted to hear, who are you calling a neighbor? Because depending on how you answer, will make you a heretic. It will make you a heretic. That's why Jesus said, back in Matthew, when he quoted Hosea, he says, he said, you would know that I desire mercy over sacrifice. I desire mercy over sacrifice. Meaning, we know about the law, but I need you to be willing to put down the law to go give some mercy. Give some mercy. You see, the, the priest walked by because he was too caught up with his, with his, he wanted to be priestly. He wanted to be seen. He wanted to execute the duties of the temple. And so he didn't want to risk his position for that week by touching someone that could contaminate him. The other thing that we must keep in mind is that if we are going to embrace his compassion, well, what does it look like? In the story, he gives the example, he says, what the Samaritan did. The scripture says that in verse number 33, he says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and he saw him. The other men walked on the other side. Evolving in our love means that we have to see people where they are and come to them. Our ministries suffer because a lot of times people aren't willing to go to where people are. They're not willing to be inconvenienced or uncomfortable. I have to admit, I, I'm guilty of that too. If, if, if I can't come up here and sit in my, and sit in my, my Cinemark seat on Sunday and listen, listen to the great orator orate the scriptures? What are you talking about beyond service? We are not called just to be here on Sunday. 
this is a very small part of what we do. But it says that the Samaritans saw him and he went to him. He didn't pass on the other side. He didn't count him as dead, but he went to him and he had compassion on him. And what did the compassion look like? It said he bound up his wound, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an end. He didn't say, I'm gonna put you in my prayers and walk off. You are my thoughts and prayers. He didn't tweet, you're in my thoughts and prayers, and send it off for a like. He didn't say, oh, you can come down to 7979 East R.L. Thornton Freeway. We meet every Sunday at 945 and 8 o'clock on Sundays. So many times that seems to be our mentality when it comes to reaching the lost. We've done our, our bare minimum. That's all I need to do. I, just, I invited them to church. The rest is in their hands. But did you not know that most people that visit, they leave unless they get connected to someone? How many of you guys just walked by the church, heard the message, and decided to stay? Many of you are here because of a relationship that brought you here. And you're rooted because of the relationship that brought you here. That's why it's so important that whenever a, a babe or a visitor comes to this church for the first time, that we need to make it a point to get to know them, to establish a relationship with them. Because it's the relationship that keeps them coming, but it's the word that grows them and develops them to make them as a tree planted by the waters. So when the storms of life start blowing, they're there on their own, and not because mama brought them, or daddy brought them, or homeboy down the street brought them, or his girlfriend made him come. When we exercise the compassion of Christ, we're looking to heal, just as Christ is always looking to do. Christ was looking to heal, and he says that the Samaritan in this story, he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast. He made an investment in this man. Ministry requires an investment. You see, it's easy for me to put my son in my car. I drive by the school and I see my kid, I'm thinking about my kid. But how, how easy would it be for you to look after the, all the other kids that are there that don't look like your daughter? What if there's some knucklehead boys around your daughter that just happen to go to school and there's a threat? Those are your neighbors. There's a compassion that is required that I feel at times we tend, we tend to gloss over. It says that he put the man on his beast and he took him to an inn. And it said he actually stayed. And then he gave him two denarii and he said, I'll, I'll pay you back when I return. That's the type of service that Christ demands of his followers. That God is looking for his people as representatives in the world. That's the type of mercy that he's looking for. 
How can we be the church if we can't even show mercy for each other? You said, by their love, they shall know that you're my disciples. You know, we know love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. We know those things. And so can you look at your neighbor and say, hey, I'm not jealous? I'm, pa- I'm, pa- I'm patient with you, brother. Even though you come to me every Sunday with the same story. I'm patient with you, sister. Even though I know you, 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 you talk about everybody's business. What kind of love is that if, if, we, if, we, if we run away from each other? As soon as, the church, as soon as the church is dismissed, we're running because we don't have the patience or the tolerance for each other. Well, where are you going? Because I'm trying to take it a step further. Because if we can't do this here, how are we going to do it for others? Some of us can't suffer, can't suffer other folk that, that, that don't wear the same denomination as us. And don't let them say they don't believe in God. But God is calling us to be a neighbor. So who are you saying, Winroe? Who's my neighbor? Those that are in need of mercy. Those that are in need of mercy. As we have the opportunity moving forward, Mountain View, I want you to ask yourself, as you come across, you have an opportunity day in and day out to show mercy. Can we do that? Can we do that? How is that mercy? That's that's showing love. That's literally being patient, being kind to people. People that you know is ignorant when they're coming up in your face. And still not talking to them crazy. I have to admit, when I, when, I, when I was in college and actually learned how to speak, I, I looked forward to times where somebody gave me a license to dress them down. Back in the day. I'm not saying now. I'm saying back in the day. My Southwestern years. But that's not who we're called to be. As we have the opportunity let us take advantage of it. When, when, when somebody comes up to you and they're asking for a few dollars, I know some of us will give money just make them go away. But why not engage them and see what's really going on, how we can help them out? You know, the old adage goes, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man a fish, he'll, he'll eat for a lifetime. The same adage goes in ministry. You know, pray for the man and, and, and he'll walk away feeling blessed. But if you make that man or woman your friend, your friend, think of how you would grow your personal ministry. Not only your ministry, the church's ministry. Every person that you encounter is a ministry for opportun- is an opportunity for ministry. And that's how you should view it. Every person that we turn away or that we turn our head at we are literally closing the doors of ministry in their face. Because people will remember that. I want to leave you with this. To evolve in our, in our love for the lost, we must embrace the vision of Christ. We must see the possibility over the reality. We also must embrace his compassion. Not only embrace his compassion, but we must, we must engage in his type of service. On your feet. I told you, I don't, I don't tend to hold you long. On your feet. Maybe you're here this morning.
you're here this morning and you realize, you know, one thing that I have not been, I have not been graceful in is giving mercy. Whenever people give me the opportunity, I'm, I'm trying to execute judgment and close them down. That's not who we're called to be. At the, end of this, at the end of the parable, Jesus asked the young man, he says, which one of these men do you think was a neighbor? And he said, he who showed mercy. Meaning that God prefers mercy over temple service. Coming to worship every Sunday, that ain't what God is looking for. He is looking for service. Maybe you're here and you realize that, you know, we, I have not been serving. There's no ministry that I identify with. There is, there is nothing that I, that I do other than warm the seat here at Mountain View. I come, I shake a few hands, but other than that, nobody else knows I'm a part of this fellowship. Then you're taking the Lord's name in vain. That's what he means. He said, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Because our responsibility as people of, of, of people of God is to make God known and to make his name great. And you cannot do that by just sitting here in these chairs every Sunday at 7979 East R.L. Thornton Freeway. I'm going to ask that the praise team... Our worship leaders lead us in a song of encouragement. Maybe you're here, you want prayer because you realize it's hard to step outside yourself. That's not who you naturally are. Come down. Ask for prayer for strength. I know I need it. I know I'm not the only one. Sometimes your week is so caught up with yourself, it's hard to think about other people outside of you because you're just trying to hold on to what you got.